30 for 30 podcast is brought to you by Delta Airlines. Delta flies to 300 cities around the world. That's 300 cities where everyone does the same things you do. That's 300 cities where the people in those 300 cities think they're the only ones who know about that one place. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of the other 299 cities. 300 cities where people sing in the car or in the shower or both poorly. Delta isn't flying to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart in the first place. Delta, keep climbing. Hello and welcome to 30 for 30 podcast. My name is Jody Avergan. Our 10th anniversary series rolls on. So far, we've been playing it pretty straight, talking to directors and subjects. But today we're going to spend some time looking at a few 30 for 30 parodies. As we've been discussing, 30 for 30 has tried to take a new approach to sports stories and sports documentaries and has become part of the sports vernacular, which has then left it open to parody. Whenever there's a big sporting event, you get people saying, I can't wait for the 30 for 30 on this or even gaming out what that 30 for 30 would look like on Twitter and elsewhere. I certainly can't watch sports without thinking about how we would take that on in 10 or 15 years. People are always writing their own what if I told you taglines whenever there's a particularly dramatic event. And then there have been some proper parodies as well. People have made fake 30 for 30 films over the years and posted them online. And through those parodies, I actually think you can learn a lot about the thing that we are all making fun of and sports documentaries in general. Watching all of these has definitely made me think about what makes a good sports documentary work from the kinds of storylines you see over and over to the kinds of experts that get interviewed and the way that archival footage is used. So some of the parodies that we've noticed, College Humor recently did one about NBA Jam. You had Carl Malone and John Stockton from the Utah Jazz versus Scottie Pippen. (laughs) Wait for it. Y'all, Horace Grant? (laughs) Like, not even Michael Jordan. There's a little 30 for 30 parody in the movie Uncle Drew. There's one about the Karate Kid that just came out a few weeks ago. There's a bunch more. And a few of them have been done by two producers, Tony Yacenda and Dan Peralt. They worked at College Humor for a while where they made a few parodies built around some 1990s sports movies. The first one they did was about Space Jam, basically treating it as if it were a real game. I was home watching TV uh, and, and they break in and say Michael Jordan is teaming up with a bunny to take on a group of alien basketball players. Remember, this is 1995. The day before, we didn't even know that aliens existed. Now, not only are they out there, but they're playing basketball with his airness himself. Then they did Angels in the Outfield. That's the movie where a kid, played by a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, can see that there are angels helping the California Angels baseball team. The parody takes that as a true event that actually happened. Would you say the use of steroids aided the California Angels during the 1994 season? Mr. Conseco? No doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Mr. Bass, was the team using steroids? It was Angels. I don't even know how to do steroids. Tony Yacenda and Dan Peralt also went on to do one of my favorite recent parodies, the Netflix series American Vandal, which is sort of a riff on true crime and the podcast Serial, and I think it's just kind of brilliant. So I invited them to come in and talk about 30 for 30, sports parodies, American Vandal, and lots more. It's a fun conversation. I will note that in the American Vandal conversation, which is in the later part of this episode, there is some adult language and subject matter, so you've been warned. But here is my chat with Tony Ascenda and Dan Peralt. Thank you for joining us, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for coming on the 30 for 30 podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
could you just actually start in with like maybe something specific? Is there one move or trope or a line or a visual element or something that you kind of knew that you wanted to parody when you started to make this stuff? I think the, uh, the, the level of importance that sports movies take on, whether it's a golden retriever or a boxer who ends the Cold War, was something that is ripe for parody in so many sports movies. And that that is also matched in a lot of real documentaries, of course, the 30 for 30 series. So I think in a nutshell, Tony and my humor tends to be taking things that are pretty silly, extremely seriously. And the world of sports documentaries and these ridiculous sports movie premises were pretty ripe for that. So you have like that montage of people saying, you can't make this stuff up. This is stranger than fiction. You couldn't make this stuff up. If you saw it in a movie, you wouldn't believe it. And it'd be a pretty bad movie, too. And that's just such a classic sports movie move to just play things up in that way. And I think when you watch a 30 for 30... The people that are talking about these topics, they really care about it. And you could tell it meant so much to them at the time when people are talking about how important it was watching Bo Jackson. And you don't know Bo. It's like this larger than life. They keep calling him Paul Bunyan and (laughs) how important it was to like watch him and be inspired by him as this hero. Uh, That is the same way we watch movies. So the idea of like taking that importance to something that really happened in real life and then transferring it to something that is like Michael Jordan playing with animated aliens, it was fun for us to to merge those worlds. All right. So walk us through some of the actual films that you've done. So our first parody 30 for 30 was 30 for 30 Space Jam, in which we told the story of Michael Jordan's unpredictable, incredible uh, journey to another planet to play with uh, a skunk, a bunny, um, another bunny, an old lady knitting against a bunch of beefed up, steroid-using alien basketball players. I remember looking at Jordan before the game, and I'd been around the guy a lot. I had never seen him like this. There were nerves. That's bull****. Look, anybody who tells you that Jordan wasn't at his best or that he let his nerves get to him, they weren't watching. The refs weren't calling anything. The referees were absolutely horrific in this ball game. Guys were getting punched. They were getting stepped on. You couldn't believe the stuff they were getting away I with. I filed multiple. Our second 30 for 30 was 30 for 30 Angels in the Outfield. That was a great one because it was right in the middle of the 90s. And one line that really got us was... It was the 90s and there were a lot of bizarre things happening in the world of sports. If a hockey player can win the Masters, if a golden retriever can play basketball, if Michael Jordan can play with Bill Murray and Tweety Bird, then maybe we can believe that the Angels can actually win baseball games. And on that note, all of our 30 for 30 parodies exist in the same universe. All of these things happened in what was a crazy decade of sports with aliens, dogs, and Happy Gilmore. So in that moment, he is not referring to the movie universe of the 90s in which we have all these absurd sports movies. He's referring to the real universe in which he is residing in this parody. That is correct. That is correct. In our version, there were no crazy 90s sports movies, only crazy real sports events. Yeah, I think we had that rule that you would only get the access to what the sports media would have had in in real life. As if they were covering it in real time. Yeah, so we just wanted to like 
pretend each of these was a real event. We just watched so many of these 30 for 30s that we developed the, the language of sports doc kind of came second nature to us. In a lot of the 30 for 30s, you also hear somebody say, it's as if it was going in slow motion. It's as if the moment was happening in slow motion. It took a matter of seconds. And bounce to you. But sometimes you see something that looks like it's going in slow motion. Thankfully, in Angels in the Outfield, the ball at one point moves in slow motion because the Angels are like slowing it down for Adrian Brody's character to hit it. So that was super fun to actually hit the trope very directly. Some moments in sports you remember in slow motion, and that hammerling play was one of them because the ball was actually traveling in slow motion. The subplot... That was a feel-good subplot in Angels in the Outfield about this manager adopting these two kids who see angels. is really fun and sweet in a Disney movie. But in the real world, if you were a journalist covering it, that would be a very, very odd, strange story. Everybody was so wrapped up in angel fever that nobody took the time to ask, why is this manager spending so much time with two little kids? I think it was creepy. And then we wanted to do a more serious documentary. So we decided to do Rocky IV, which is one of the more entertaining Rocky movies because he just basically goes into Russia and beats this superhuman Russian who had killed Apollo Creed. And I guess just because he fights really hard, like the whole Politburo stands up and like supports Rocky. I have covered sports for 35 years and I have never seen a home crowd switch sides. Rocky. Rocky. The crowd switched sides and started rooting for Rocky because of his spirit or passion, commitment. I don't know. It never really made sense to me. They started rooting for Rocky I, I don't know, because of the Rocky spirit or I, I don't have a good answer for that. That was such a politically groundbreaking thing to happen in 1985 at the height of the Cold War that, you know, obviously that would have affected Soviet-U.S. relations in a real way. I think it always bothered Rocky that he never received much credit for his role in ending the Cold War. Reagan never once thanked him, and uh, I think that's part of the reason that he faded from the spotlight. And my favorite moment from that comes from Max Kellerman, who I love in, in that short Um, who acknowledges the existence of two Carl Weathers characters in sports who died. I've only cried twice because of a sporting event. When Happy Gilmore accidentally killed Chubbs and then when Apollo died. And it's a weird moment where it's clearly the same guy for both. Can you run through the taxonomy of experts that you use? Because I feel like you nail the different kinds of people who... Yeah, and journalists who you have commenting on these events. For sure. I suppose there's a guy who's kind of the everyman of, you know, look, I I mean, the guy who says, I mean, that's just, (laughs) you know, that everyone says, I mean, in a documentary. I mean, Jordan had beaten Magic and Bird, but this was a whole different beast. That's the sports talk radio guy. Yeah. So we want that, that guy who's like talking to the callers and just says it like it is, you know? And then the guy... We figure there was probably a few people who wrote long books, had the right. book deal about the Space Jam game. And they're the ones uh, wearing we, the like sport coat with the with the patches. Um, yes. There and, is actually one character that 
is the same guy in all our 30s. I've noticed that, yeah. So for the Space Jam, his book was called Of Monsters and Men, the Space Jam story, which I very much So we developed this weird thing where every book he writes is just of and then whatever the movie is. So I think for the Angels and Outfield, it was like of angels and outfield or something. Like it was, he had very unclever book titles, Um, but he was the one guy who kept showing up in all of them. And with the game on the line, Jordan gets the ball. And you can tell, he's going to do whatever it takes to win, even if that means dunking from half court. The most right for parody moment to me is just how events are painted like the world stopped to watch this event. In 1980, the world seemed to stop to watch Duran and Leonard. And when they came together, it was explosive, a frenzy, if you will. The magnitude of what these 30 for 30s covered and how these people portrayed it as just the biggest thing in the world is what launched us into focusing on such silly movies. I should ask you, do you think that goes over the top sometimes? Do you think that 30 for 30s kind of like overhype moments? I think sports is a type of storytelling. I think that's really what draws us in. So are there some times in 30 for 30 where People are talking in such grandiose terms, like it's the most important thing that's ever happened, even though it's just sports. The No Moss fight will always be, within boxing circles, the most talked about fight of all time. But really, the people who are talking about it, it was super important to them, just like so many of of my memories and, you know, growing up were informed by watching sports with my friends, watching sports with with my dad. So if it's important to the people who are involved, I don't think it's wrong to lean into how high the stakes are for everybody, but it just gives us a lot to make fun of when we (laughs) do it about something fictional. Totally. I mean, I think the one sort of creative stance at the heart of 30 for 30, and I kind of learned it when I showed up in this corner of ESPN was we don't do biographies, right? We don't say, hey, here's an interesting athlete and we're going to go from the beginning of their life to the end. We, you know, we really try and pick moments and trust that in those moments, there's lots of bigger themes. And, you know, then there's interesting characters who we have to get to know. And so you learn some of the biographical detail there, but it kind of goes to what you're saying in that, like, all you have to do is say, here's an interesting moment. And it really mattered to some group of people And we think that's enough once we've decided to tell that story that we're going to kind of like live with them and understand and try and see it through their eyes. And and if they tell us it mattered to them, then we'll take that on face value. I'm not Holmes out. He don't stand a chance. How can you beat a legend? Muhammad Ali, I think the most engaging athlete maybe of all time. The idea of doing the documentary about his fight with Holmes and having your heart break for him. Yeah. Uh, that's the way in. Holmes gave away, which got him going. Oh, boy. This is going to be a brawl. I love that. The the bigger the name, the smaller the angle. Yeah. Add that to the list of things we're going to steal from you. <laughs> I'm yeah. writing it down right now. Yeah. Well, and, and then, so I'll share, I'll share another gem with you. The flip side of that, right, is um, the smaller the story, the more it has to teach us huge lessons you know we're, we're always like if it's a big topic find a really small angle and if it's a smaller quote-unquote topic uh make sure it has enough depth and just like twists and turns so that it'll sustain and then feel bigger as you just sort of go along for the ride um well, philosophically we yes. certainly agree with that yeah. and it's not something you maybe see in our 30 for 30 parodies but 
when we were transitioning into American Vandal, that's that was kind of absolutely the goal is taking something really dumb, essentially taking a dick joke while you're talking about taking something small, we're talking about taking something small and stupid, but ultimately trying to kind of say something about what it's like to be an adolescent in 2017 when we made it. Coming up, more from Dan Peralt and Tony Yacenda on how their 30 for 30 parodies prepared and inspired them to launch the Netflix series American Vandal. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by State Farm. These days, everyone is busy and may not know where to start when it comes to insurance. Well, State Farm has over 19,000 agents across the country who are here to help life go right. They're willing to sit down and take the time to understand what's important to you and create a customized plan to help you protect it. Think of your State Farm agent as that person on the court who is always reading the defense and knows exactly where you'll be even before you get there. When you have a State Farm agent on your team, you can always trust that they've got you. State Farm, here to help life go right. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by OnStar. If you're ever faced with something as terrible as vehicle theft, OnStar can help. OnStar has the power of stolen vehicle slowdown. It's a feature that enables an advisor to work with law enforcement to get your stolen ride back, slowing down your vehicle enough so that authorities have a chance to apprehend the crook who took it. Get OnStar on your team today. OnStar is available on Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. OnStar, be safe out there. Requires select paid plan, cell reception, GPS signal, and working electrical system. Doesn't prevent theft, damage, or loss. Details at OnStar.com. Everyone thinks I did it. Everyone. Dylan definitely did it. Of course he did it. He's like a known dick drawer. Another day, another dick. The evidence, it's overwhelming. So let's, let's transition a little to American Vandal. I will say... Anyone who has worked with me knows that I'm like a pretty big skeptic of true crime. And I just think there's like there's too much of it and it's very paint by numbers and it doesn't really respect its audience. I could go on for a while, but like anything that tries to take true crime down a notch, I'm a fan of. And I found myself to be a big fan of American Vandal. So I don't know if that's where you started. Like we want to do something about true crime or if you came into it in some other way. I think we came at it similarly to how we came at the 30 for 30s where we came at it from a place of love or at least a place of uh, entertainment where we would get sucked into these series and and we would talk about them. But it was kind of fun for us to take what we loved about it and just develop the language. And then we come up with a premise, silly premise, like dicks drawn on cars in a high school and a kid's expelled for a crime he claims he didn't do. Okay, what's the best way to make a documentary about this injustice? It's just not the way I thought things were going to go. I was going to graduate high school, get my degree in like engineering. I know I didn't do it. It is a shocking scene for Hanover High teachers today. The vandal spray painted obscene images on 27 We listened to Serial over and over, and we were just able to kind of analyze the way that she was able to manipulate us. I love how she was sort of an unreliable narrator on purpose in a way where most documentarians try to pretend like they're unbiased and just giving you the facts. And I thought she 
was interesting and kind of doing the opposite. And the second thing, which you can't miss about Adnan, is that he has giant brown eyes like a dairy cow. That's what prompts my most idiotic lines of inquiry. Could someone who looks like that really strangle his girlfriend? Idiotic, I know. I thought that is almost very high school in a way and really honest. And it got me on board to go like, all right, Sarah, let's figure this out together. So then the question was, can we do that sort of thing for a fictional narrative, for a low stakes crime? And that that has to be the driver is the crime itself, the uh, the character ultimately is dealing with this injustice. Like whatever dick and poop joke we have to make it fun along the way is great. But ultimately, we're hoping our audience may come for that uh, ridiculous dick joke and then become surprised when they're actually invested in uh, the injustice of the crime and the victim. Miss Shapiro claims that Dylan Maxwell had a vendetta, that he targeted her, that he slashed her tire. He didn't. And she knew it. She lied. Of course, you want to hit tropes. And it's super fun when you can find one to fit, uh, so long as that is not the driver of our narrative. I guess my point is just that uh, while they, we are certainly aware of the tropes, it was just a type of thing like, well, could, could you draw uh, 27 dicks in <laughs> eight and a half minutes? Well, you would have to, let's time that out. They yeah. would time that out, so let's do it. The best documentarians, true crime or otherwise, will make you so invested in something you feel initially is not worth that yeah. amount of investment. The amount of things we dove into that on surface level did not seem worth that investigation, but you were drawn in because of Peter Maldonado, our main documentarian's interest. Uh, that was something we definitely tried to borrow from Sarah Kanigan's serial was us becoming fascinated as an audience because of the documentarian's fascination mm-hmm. and investment themselves. Right. And I think a big part of the reason that true crime is having this explosion is because it kind of plays into our hubris a little bit. We think that the police might have gotten it wrong, the the judge and the jury might have got it wrong, even the documentarian filmmaker might have gotten it wrong, but I'm a good judge of character and I can figure it out. What makes that so alluring is something that I felt that we could capitalize on if we took it into a high school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll just share here kind of one of the, I mentioned some of my frustrations with true crime. I think it's part of what we're describing here is, is where I really get hung up, which is the like sort of willfully going down a dead end just for the sake of doing it. The journalist knows and the audience knows that, oh, this is a, you know, a red herring or this is just like, let's just game this out for 20 minutes and then we're going to reach a cul-de-sac and it's not going to really answer our core question. Then we're going to back out and then we're going to go down another road and reach another cul-de-sac. And so many true crime stories feel like that. They're just like exploration of a bunch of futile theories stacked on top of each other until you finally get to the one if you're lucky, that actually answers your question. And I don't know. I mean, not to get too high-minded here, but I just feel like I don't want to do that to an audience. I never want to lead you down something that I know is not going to be important, you know, uh, at some fundamental level. I I think that's a pretty fair indictment. I think for us, it's fun to go down a rabbit hole and we can sleep at night knowing it's it's a a dick joke and we we can enjoy that. Uh, I remember watching Thin Blue Line in oh, film yeah. school, though, and just being it just changing the way I thought about the justice system in, in a way that I think is is really helpful. So no, absolutely. While, while you're while you're right in some of your indictments about the pulpier 
true crime. I still love a lot of true crime documentaries. One other thing that I really loved about American Vandal, it's actually a really kind of nuanced and wonderful portrait of teen culture and sort of the ecosystem of a high school. And it sort of sneaks up on you. But maybe Sam doesn't just see Gabby as a best friend. He's always denied having a crush on Gabby. But there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. I don't like it when it switches back. <laughs> like when it switches back. You know, I remember towards the end of the second episode or into the third episode, I felt like, oh, I, I kind of know this world all of a sudden that they're living in, um, in a way beyond just the thing that they're trying to solve. Was that something you sort of set out to do, make like a teen drama uh, on the side of this true crime parody? It started with getting the audience to care about the mystery. Because if you care about the mystery and that's what you're watching from scene to scene, then we could be way more subtle with the comedy. We could be way more subtle with the the relationships and the character arcs. And that's honestly something that I think is a common theme in a lot of documentaries, including sports documentaries, where you have this kind of driver of there's one clear goal. This person is trying to win or this team is trying to win. And because that's sort of the engine of the thing, you're able to really soak in all of the the humanity in a, in a way that's a little bit more organic than if you were just like writing these melodrama scenes. Yeah. Uh, you can kind of Trojan horse it a little bit more. Across any of these projects, have you ever heard from someone who you're parodying or who thinks that you're parodying them? We we met Sarah Koenig uh, last year, and it was a very pleasant and unexpected meeting. And um, yeah, I I mean I I think out of fairness to her, I don't want to go too deep into what we talked sure. about, but it was it, we were in our super fanboys, and it's a mutual respect. It seems I'll at least say that. And uh, and and again, like we're we wanted to sort of take what she gave us and and use it for a fictional crime. But, you know, we owe so much to her uh, for what she did before us. I, I think one of the cool things about parody, too, is that, you know, if you're making a true crime documentary now and uh, you have a story point and you're like, all right, we, well, we can do it like they did it in Making a Murderer. And then somebody says, well, they also did this in the, the show about the turd burglar. Uh, you go, okay, maybe we should find another way to get this story point across. So I think that's like parody often forces evolution and storytelling in, in kind of cool ways. Over the years, I've covered a, a lot of great basketball teams. But the Toon Squad, we'll never forget those names. Jordan, Bugs, Daffy. It was incredible. All of it. I've never seen anything like it. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. Tony Ascenda and Dan Peralta, the guys behind Netflix American Vandal and a bunch of 30 for 30 parodies. I'll go ahead and tweet out some links to those later this week so you can find me on Twitter at Jody Avergan. If you want to find links to some of those parodies or you can just go find them on your own. They're on the Internet. You know how to find things. Tomorrow, one more episode in this batch of anniversary conversations. We'll return to one of our favorite films, one of the most emotional films we've done in the series. And this is perhaps the one, more than any others, that has evolved since the film came out. Should I start from the beginning? And let me say this too. This is the first time that I'm officially telling a story of what actually took place the day that I, uh, you know, uh, 
committed the crime that I committed that sent me to the penitentiary. This is a really interesting conversation about the film Benji, gun violence in Chicago, and more. We'll be joined by the guys who made the film, as well as former Education Secretary Arnie Duncan. So be sure to check that out. My name is Jody Evergan. Thanks for listening.